0: Good morning, church. I'm going to read Luke 8, verses 4 through 21. The parable of the sower. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town to town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, and it, and with it choked it. And some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when the disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Take care then how you fear, how you hear, for to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him. But they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it.
1: Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Mark. If you don't know know me, I work for the Risen Collective. And every once in a while, I have the privilege of getting to come here to Risen North And share the word. So I'm very excited to share the word this morning from Luke chapter 8. Let me pray and ask for God's help. Father, we do come before you this morning in the name of your son, Jesus, and we thank you that you are speaking to us this morning through your word. And we thank you that you have not left us alone, but you've given us your Holy Spirit to minister to us. So I pray that you would allow us just to hear Jesus' statement here, that he he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, in our text for today, Jesus tells his first extended parable. And so we need to figure out a little bit of what a parable is. So a parable is basically just an extended story but it's a story with a specific purpose or meaning. And our job as listeners then is to find out where we fit into that story. And so as Jesus speaks this parable, let's hear this invitation to enter into the world of the parable and then apply it to our lives. That's the purpose of these parables that he tells. So we're going to read this passage again, kind of bit by bit. So we're going to have a lot of scripture this morning, but that's the point of the parable is that there's power in the word. So let's look at this parable again from Luke chapter eight, verses four through eight. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So as we start out, I'm going to start out with three brief observations from this parable before we even get into the meaning of the parable. So first, we need to focus on what Jesus says after he tells the parable. So he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And we know that a large crowd has come and surrounded Jesus. And then after he tells this parable, our text says he calls out, presumably in a loud voice. So here Jesus is crying out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So this is an invitation to truly hear what he's saying, that this is something that's really important to Jesus. He's saying that some people have ears, but they can't really hear what he's saying. Even though the words are entering their ears, they're not really listening. I don't know if you've ever had that situation happen to you where you're, maybe you're in the car with your spouse and you know, your spouse is talking, but all of a sudden you realize that you have just been zoning out and you have no idea what they were saying. And then there's that question, well, what do you think? And you have to admit, I had ears that didn't hear in that moment. Or maybe you've seen it in your kids and maybe there's a screen in front of them and they're totally absorbed in whatever, whatever they're watching or playing. And you're, and you're giving them instruction, and you, you know that the words are going in their ears, but they're not giving you any response. They don't have ears to hear. So we see that this parable is about how we listen, that even though we have ears, we need to have ears to hear. Second, Jesus's original audience would have been shocked at how widely this farmer sows his seed. I don't, I don't know if you know much about the agricultural business. I don't, but I can at least assume that normal farmers don't waste three-fourths of their seed that they sow, that he sows all in all these different places. And it's pretty obvious that maybe the seed isn't going to grow there. So we're puzzled at how widely the farmer sows his seed. And so, That question we're going to kind of have to put a pin in for a minute and hold on to and see if we can come up with an answer for why this farmer sows his seed so widely as we go through the meaning of the parable. But third observation, we're equally as shocked at how much fruit this seed produces, that no farmer would expect to have a 100-fold return on his seed. This kind of return is borderline miraculous. So, even though we're puzzled at how widely the farmer sows his seed, we're also equally amazed at the bumper crop that comes in with the one fourth of the seed that actually bears fruit. So, we, like the disciples, are left wondering okay, we understand the story, but what does it mean? What does this story mean for our lives? And that's exactly what the disciples ask in verse 9. And Jesus is going to answer that question. But before he answers their question, he answers a question that they didn't ask, which is what I love about Jesus. He's always answering questions that we need to know the answer to, but we don't even know to ask the right question. So he's like, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to answer the meaning of this parable, but also I'm going to tell you an answer to a question that you need to know, but that you didn't ask. So here's what... Jesus says in verse 10, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So Jesus is quoting from Isaiah chapter 6. In the context of Isaiah 6, God has just called Isaiah to be his mouthpiece. So he said, whom shall I send? And Isaiah famously says, here I am, send me. And that verse is quoted in missions context and missions conferences all the time where Isaiah says, yes, I'm going to go for you. But then the next part you rarely hear in missions conferences because Isaiah says, what do you want me to tell them? Okay, I'm going to go. Now give me the message, give me the sermon. And then God tells Isaiah, he says, Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. This is a hard passage to grapple with. You don't often hear this verse explained with much enthusiasm because it seems like the opposite of what God wants to do with his disciples and to say, go and tell and spread the gospel. And Jesus is saying, I'm speaking in parables because I want there to be a secret. I want there to be some kind of hiddenness here. But then he's going to go on and tell us why he's doing this. We see that even though this is a puzzling passage, this passage was really important to Jesus and to the early apostles because this verse is is the second most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament, second only to Psalm 110, verse 1. This verse in Isaiah 6 is quoted in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans. So you can see that to the early church, this was extremely important for the foundation of the kingdom Of God. And in these contexts, both in Isaiah's day and in Jesus's day, there were religious leaders who were really good at doing what they were doing. They were really good at offering sacrifices and putting on the show. But what they weren't good at is having ears to hear. They weren't good at actually internalizing and receiving the word of God and receiving what God was doing in their lives. And so God sent them into exile because of their hardened hearts. And that's what God was preparing Isaiah to prophesy about. And that's what Jesus was talking about in his day as well. But the glorious message of Isaiah and the glorious message of Jesus is that God isn't sending them into exile to wipe them out completely. God is sending them into exile to purify them and to bring them back to himself. God wants to teach them the, me- the meaning of true religion and God promised to send his servant, the Messiah, to show them the true way to follow God. And that's what Jesus has come to do as well. Is to take our hearts that are broken and that are dull of hearing and that are calloused and to send us into a place where we realize we're not hearing rightly. We haven't heard what God wants to say. And then it's to bring us back so that we can truly hear what Jesus is saying. So the key to understanding this parable and really this whole passage comes from verse 10. When Jesus says to you, disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. The disciples get to know the secret of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come as a secret, but God has given his disciples the ability to know that secret. The kingdom of God is like a two-way mirror, like in those movies you watch where someone's being interrogated. So on one side, you can see through the glass. You can see clearly, but on the other side, you can't see through it all. It's just a mirror. Those who are given the gift of sight can see through the glass. Those who are given the gift of the secret of the kingdom of God are the ones who can see clearly. They're the ones who can hear rightly. So what's the difference? How do you get in on this secret? Jesus says, it's not about how hard you try. It's not about putting on appearances. It's a gift. God's grace is the only way that you can enter into the kingdom of God. And like Jesus' disciples, this gift is available to you. This gift of the grace of the kingdom of God is available to you as well. Anyone can get in on this secret. And that's the point. That's the gospel message that Jesus came to reveal. So I'm saying this now because I want to set up this parable rightly because I know at least for my heart, when I read this parable, it's a well-known parable. It's in many of the gospels. I can instantly go to the application of, okay, I need to work harder. Okay. I need to make sure that the soil of my heart is in the right place. And in one way, that's true. We do need to work hard and we do need to apply with all diligence hearing correctly But we can't start there. The starting point has to be the grace of God. The starting point has to be the gift that God has given us. Because if we start with our works, then we're missing it. Just like the Pharisees did. And Luke has already given us some examples of what this looks like in the previous passage. So this is what Sean preached on last week. At the end of Luke chapter 7, When Jesus was eating at a Pharisee's house and this woman who's described as a woman of the city, a sinner, she came in and she washed Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. And the Pharisee looks down on her, scoffing at her because of her sin. But then he responds saying, he who has been forgiven much loves much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And then in Luke 8, the very beginning of Luke 8, 1 through 3, we have another similar story. Let's look at that together. Luke tells us, soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. So these are women who were prostitutes and who were demon possessed and people who were on the outskirts of society who are now following Jesus as his disciples. And so I think Luke has intentionally placed these stories right before the parable of the sower to help us see what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. The point is not, are you good enough to receive the kingdom of God? It's those who have been delivered from their sins who now follow Jesus the closest. So the point is, don't let any part of your self-sufficiency choke out the life of the kingdom of God. Don't let your heart that so often moves into self-sufficiency choke out what God wants to grow in the soil of your hearts. The grace of God has to be the foundation of his kingdom. It's a secret, and God is the one who gives away that secret. So now that this foundation of grace has been established, let's look at how Jesus interprets the parable. So here's his interpretation, starting in verse 11. Now this parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So I have four observations about Jesus's meaning of the parable here. First, Jesus tells us that the seed represents the word of God. So, of course, this connects with our theme of hearing. For the word of God to be internalized, it has to be heard. But not only does it have to be heard, but it has to be heard with the right soil or with the right heart. The seed will grow if it's in the right environment, In the world of this parable, there's no such thing as a defective seed. The seed is always going to grow, if in the right environment. The word of God is powerful, and if given the opportunity, it's going to grow into maturity and bear fruit. So I just finished reading Marilyn Robinson's award-winning book, Gilead. It's a great book. I'd commend it to you if you have some spare time. And the main character in the book His name is John Ames, and he's a pastor. And he talks about the ministry of the word on a Sunday morning. He says, Sometimes I have loved the peacefulness of an ordinary Sunday. It's like standing in a newly planted garden after a warm rain. You can feel the silent and invisible life. All it needs from you is that you take care not to trample on it. I love that. God's word is powerful. It's effective. And on a normal, ordinary Sunday morning, it's doing the growth. It's going to do what it is intended to do. We just need to take care not to trample on it with our own self-sufficiency. As we hear it, God will bring the growth. Trust in him to bring it. We don't have to add anything to it. Trust in him week after week after week that he's going to bring the growth. He's going to bring the growth in you. He's going to bring the growth in your kids, in your family. You might not see it right away because you're so up close to it, but as you're faithful to internalize the word and to look for what you can believe in and believe anew and afresh in the promises of God, he's going to bring the growth. That's what the word of God does. It doesn't need any gimmicks to accompany it. It doesn't need a bunch of flashing lights. It doesn't need a projector that's working at full strength. It doesn't need anything other than the power of God to bring about the growth. That's what Jesus does. Second observation. Faith is the right response as we hear God's word. The right response is faith. So the first seed gets eaten by the birds. Jesus tells us in verse 12, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. They hear the word, but they don't respond in faith. So that's the goal is hearing, responding with faith. So the word is meant to bring about this response of faith in our hearts. And if we hear without faith, that means that seed has been stolen from us. And it's similar with the second seed. It grows for a little bit, but it doesn't have any root. And so it dies off. Listen to how Jesus describes their fate in verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. Notice here that there is initial faith. There is initial joy here in receiving the word, but it's not faith that lasts. When there's a time of testing, the plant withers. So the right response to the word is faith, and the only faith that remains, the only faith that's real, is faith that lasts even through times of testing. Third observation, self-sufficiency is the great enemy of lasting fruit. Self-sufficiency is the great enemy of lasting fruit. For the first seed, Jesus tells us that it's the devil that snatches up the seed. And the Bible is clear. There's a real spiritual enemy out there. We can't see him but I think in our context, we probably need to lean into that a little bit more and realize that there's real spiritual, spiritual warfare going on out there. He's cr- prowling around like a roaring lion wanting to devour, wanting to steal the seed that was sown. And in Luke's gospel, the only other time the name devil is used is in the temptation of Jesus scene in Luke chapter 4. And the devil tempts Jesus three times. And each temptation, I think, comes from the root of self-sufficiency. He says, you're hungry, Jesus. Why don't you make some bread for yourself? You've got the power to do that. So go ahead and provide for your needs. He says, Jesus, you want the, the kingdom of God to come to earth? Well, why don't you just bow down to me and I'll give you all the kingdoms that I have right now. We can make that transaction right now. Then he says, you want protection? Why don't you just test God and make sure that you can get the protection that you need? The root issue of all three of those temptations is self-sufficiency. You can provide what you need on your own. You don't need help from anybody else. But you know what Jesus says? My bread is not just physical bread, but the word of God. I get sufficiency from my father, not from myself. And that's how he fought against the temptations of the enemy is by saying, I'm dependent on the father to do what I'm called to do. And if Jesus, the son of God does that, how much more do we need to put to death our roots of self-sufficiency and look to our heavenly father? The devil wants to lure you into the trap of self-sufficiency. So when, when we think about spiritual warfare, maybe we think about like seedy drug deals and prostitution and, you know, things like that. And yes, the devil is at work at that. But the devil can be just as active in the suburbs, in families who provide good, clean fun for their kids and have all the money that they need. In their comfort, it's easy to... For the devil to make them forget God and think that they don't need him and that's been the devil's trick all along trying to tempt us into believing the lie that God is keeping something from you so you need to take matters into your own hands and do it yourself self-sufficiency is the enemy of faith to hear the word of God rightly is to know that it is God who gives you what you need So we see self-sufficiency in the attacks of the devil, and we also see it in the problem of the second seed. So the second seed falls away after a time of testing because it doesn't have a root. Jesus says they believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. Their faith doesn't last. And in the Bible, it's only faith that lasts that's true faith. Their time of testing has revealed that they're not looking to God through the eyes of faith to provide everything that they need. They're going to other sources, but those other sources are shallow. So I think this is an invitation for us to do a heart check. When things get hard and it's an opportunity for faith to persevere in your life, what are you tempted to go to instead? What's your go-to comfort When things get hard, is it food? Is it making sure you have a happy family? Is it comfort? Is it success in your job? Whatever substitute you run to, it's going to be too shallow to provide the depth that you need for the roots of your faith to drink in deep and get the water that you need. So go to war against those false comforts. Enjoy them as God's blessings, but don't go to them as something they weren't made made for. Go, Go to God as the one who sustains you and helps you and comforts you in times of need. The third seed grows even more than the other two, and it actually produces a little bit of fruit, but that fruit doesn't mature. It still does not achieve its intended purpose. And so Jesus tells us that it's choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. Cares and trials can choke out your faith. They can tempt you into trying to get what you want by your own means. But at least equally as dangerous, and perhaps even more so, are riches and pleasures. That they also can choke out the fruit that God intends for the word of God in your life. When everything's going wrong in your life, it can often bring us to our knees. It can bring us to a place of depending on God because we know that only God can deliver us from these things. But how about when everything's going right? How much more should those situations bring us to our knees? That material blessings are gifts from God and we should be thankful for them. But how often do they lure us into the world of self-sufficiency? thinking that we can meet all of our needs ourselves. So I think this is an opportunity to take a step back and think about our mission as a church. Think about our mission in partnership with the Risen Collective. The Risen Collective exists to help plant more churches in the greater Houston area and around the world. And statistics show that the more often you have a church plant, that's when new believers, that's when God saves people and brings people into the faith, is when there's new churches that are planted. And so we want to be a sending church. We want to be a network of sending churches that continues to partner with Jesus in planting more churches. Because when you're planting a church, you're meeting at a high school or you're meeting in a dance studio And you're setting up and tearing down every week. And nothing is easy. And if you're there at the church plant, you're there because you're hungry to see a work of God. But what happens when you get a nice big building? It's a blessing from God. This building is an amazing blessing from God. But don't let the fact that things get easier then allow you to slide into the comfort that can choke out the life of faith. In your life, this is one of the great dangers for the church in the West. Don't coast. Don't let your riches and your pleasures choke out the fruit that comes from the Word of God. Cultivate a life of faith, knowing that whether in poverty or in riches, you are radically dependent on God every single day. That's why we want to continue to plant churches. That's why we want to set things up where we're not just going to slide into comfort. It could be easy just to, to succumb to the temptation of just building our own kingdom here. But that's not what we're about. We're about joining with Jesus in his mission and allowing him to bear fruit in our lives. Fourth observation. Only the plant that bears fruit and remains is truly a part of the kingdom of God. Only those whose fruit remains are truly saved. Only the fourth seed represents those who are in the kingdom of God. Sometimes when the Bible talks about salvation, it talks about a moment of salvation, that moment when you go from death into life. But then there's other times when the Bible talks about looking at the whole life as how God saves your whole life. And this is one of those moments when Jesus is talking about the fruit that comes from your whole life. Only your lasting persevering fruit is what's a sign of that moment. So it's not your fruit that saves you. I can't say that enough. We're not about producing fruit so that we can be saved, but a whole life lived that produces lasting fruit is a sign of that moment of true salvation. And I think that's why this parable connected with the quotation from Isaiah 6 was so important for the early church. That it helped explain why people who appeared to have fruit were not actually a part of the kingdom of God. The Pharisees looked like they had fruit on the outside But their lack of faith in Jesus betrayed the fact that they were not actually receiving the word of God in faith. They were too caught up in their own self-sufficiency. So back to our question. Why does the sower sow his seed so widely? Why does he sow it on the road and on the shallow soil and the soil with thorns and then the good soil? Well, it's because of the mystery of the kingdom of God. The field that you might think would produce the best crop ends up being the field with the thorns. Ends up being the Pharisees whose fruit, very fruit that they think they're producing is being choked out by the things of this world. And it's those on the outside, the soil that we might think would be rocky or hard to to bear fruit and grow up, the marginalized, the women of the city, the sinners, those are the ones who are ready to hear and receive the word of God. And it's in the soil of their hearts that produces lasting fruit. Why? Because they've been forgiven much so they can love much. So if I were to summarize the meaning of this parable, I would say that Jesus wants to cultivate in us a posture of receiving. A posture of receiving. Even as we're hearing the rain beat down on the roof, as God is sending us rain, we need to cultivate this posture of receiving. And again, we don't want to slide into the application of do better, work harder, produce more fruit. Yet there is a warning here. There's something for us to do, but it has, with how, has to do with how we receive from God not with what we do in our own strength. So the next teaching in this passage explains what Jesus means here. So let's look it down at verses 16 through 18. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear for to the one who has more will be given and from the one who has not even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. So we're all in this room hearing the word of God together. You're hearing the words that are coming out of my mouth and they're going into your ears and you're hearing them. But the way that we receive this word is hidden for now. We can't look around the room and see on your faces or see in your body of how you're receiving the word of God. It's hidden. But one day, all that's hidden will be revealed. You might look at a law-abiding Pharisee and a woman of the city, a prostitute, and you might be able to think who's receiving the Word of God and who isn't. But there's a mystery. There's a secret there because we don't know how each person is internalizing the Word of God. But even though the seed of the kingdom is hidden at first, one day it's all going to be revealed. Whatever's hidden on the inside is going to come out on the outside. And so Jesus brings all this back to how you hear. Again in verse 18, take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. It all comes down to how you hear the word. Do you hear the word with a posture of receiving and respond with faith, or do you hear it with a posture of self sufficiency? The reason you need to take care how you hear is because the one who has, more will be given to him. That's the secret of the kingdom. And the one who doesn't have, he thinks he has something, but the one who doesn't have even what he thinks he has will be taken away. I think C.S. Lewis gets it right when he describes the kingdom of God like this. He says, good and evil both increase at compound interest. That is why the little decisions you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later you may be able to go on to victories you never dreamed of. An apparently trivial indulgence in lust or anger today is the loss of a ridge or railway line or bridgehead from which the enemy may launch an attack otherwise impossible. The more you receive the word with faith, the more dependent you grow on God, the more fruit you can bear. On the other hand, the more you grow in your self-sufficiency, the more you may move away from God, even the things that look like growth will be revealed as false. So we need to be careful how we hear, which means cultivating a posture of receiving. So what does true hearing actually look like? So the last little passage in our text for this morning is going to answer that. Let's look together at verses 19 19 through 21. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So, here at the tail end of this section, we have this little account of Jesus' biological family trying to come and see him. And Jesus says, My mother, my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus tells us that a posture of receiving is hearing it and then believing in the promises that we get from the gospel. And as we believe, as we place our faith in Jesus, that's going to change what we do. Faith is completed by works, by what you do in your life. It doesn't mean that acting on the word, we're acting on the word like we're trying to earn our salvation. If that's how you're acting, you haven't truly heard the word of God. The word of God is the announcement of the good news of the kingdom of God. It's the proclamation that the Messiah has come, that he's made a way for us to be right with God. And as we hear that, as we know that we have been forgiven much, then we love much. I can't help but think of Jesus' brother James, who's standing on the outskirts of the crowd, trying to get in to see his brother as he's teaching. And maybe he overhears Jesus say this phrase, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it And then a few decades later, when that same James is sitting down to write a letter to the churches, he says in James 122, "But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves." And right before that, James: 121, he said, "Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls." So we hear hear from Jesus' brother the same message that we hear from Jesus. Cultivate a posture of receiving. Receive with meekness the implanted word so that through faith in Jesus we might be saved and bear lasting fruit. So I think we need to do a gut check this morning and, and let me just invite you to apply this message right here and right now and ask yourself, What is the soil of my heart this morning? What has the soil of my heart been over my whole life? Maybe your whole life has been trying to produce something that looks good so that you can be accepted. And the Holy Spirit is convicting you that you've just been trying to look good, but you've never paused to receive the message of the kingdom. And you're working your fingers down to the bone, trying to keep up appearances. Jesus' message for you this morning is to surrender. Surrender to the gospel of the king. Surrender to the good news of the mystery of the kingdom and receive it as a gift. If you want to talk about that, I would love to talk with you about that. Or one of the pastors here or your friend who brought you here this morning. Don't leave today without doing business with God in surrendering to the gospel of the kingdom. And I also, as we close, just want to give just another handhold for all of us, for how we can cultivate this posture of receiving. So author and pastor Tim Chester has given these four G's of God that are helpful in learning how to see who God is and then to live out of the abundance of the knowledge of God. So I'm going to read them twice, and I want you just to see if there's one that you can grab a hold of. And let that ch- start change the way you live so here's the 4g's god is great so we don't have to be in control god is glorious so we don't have to fear others god is good so we don't have to look elsewhere and god is gracious so we don't have to prove ourselves Just grab a hold of one of those. Maybe there's one area where when I was reading it, you're thinking, yeah, I do that all the time. Focus on who God is. So here they they are one more time. God is great. And because we believe that God is great, you don't have to be in control. You can lay that down this morning. God is glorious. He is altogether glorious and mighty. And because of that, you don't have to fear man. You don't have to fear that meeting tomorrow morning. You don't have to fear whatever person makes you feel anxiety because God is glorious and God is good. We don't have to look elsewhere to any other comforts because of the goodness of God. And God is gracious so we don't have to prove ourselves. You don't have to prove anything because of the kingdom of God. Grab on to one of those this week. Believe in the promise of who God is and let that faith change the way you live and bear fruit. Let's pray. Father, you have spoken this morning in the person of your son through your word and we want to receive. Would you keep away the attacks of the enemy? Would you dispel any attempt to steal the seed of this word? Would you help us to wage war against false comforts and against the pleasures of this life that this afternoon after lunch and enjoying the pleasures of this day that are there for us to be in, to to enjoy but Lord would you keep us from succumbing to the worldly gospel of self-sufficiency and would you allow this word to bear fruit in our lives for your good for your glory and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.